Good morning, City Hill. You know, uh, a number of weeks ago, actually a number of months ago, we set an ambitious goal in the impact giving of $90,000 this year. And that was a $10,000 increase, and last year was ambitious as well, but we felt the Lord continue to challenge us to believe Him for more. And as of last Sunday, our total is... $90,400. Praise the Lord. And I'm always amazed. I'm always amazed at God's goodness, His faithfulness. He'd be a good God if we fell short of it. it that doesn't define His goodness. But I am grateful for His generosity and that we get to do things like, um, you know, picture the, the car of the Bontrager's car. One of the car, the car that Terry's looking at buying in Azerbaijan. And we have a part in that. So that when he goes up to those villages, when he's caring for these goat herders or whatever project he has up there, we have a part in that ministry through that and so many other things that the impact projects are going towards. So I am grateful to God. And I also want to thank you because God works through his people. Last I checked, he's not printing money up in heaven and having it fall out of trees. Um, but he works through his people as he speaks to our hearts. And my, my prayer and my belief was that, God, we can reach that number as your servants listen and obey. And we did. So praise the Lord. Let's pray as we get going this morning. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that you are the God that provides when we don't see how. God, thank you that you want to use us as those of your kingdom who extend your gospel. Be with us today as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment more about the money aspect. You know, as I've been looking at the scriptures, I see how much God spoke about money. How much Jesus talked about money and finances. So he asked the question, does Jesus really need your money? And the answer is no. He really doesn't need it. He owns it all anyway. So it's not like he's a poor God that needs what we can give to him. But we see that the, our money and our heart are very closely linked. The scripture says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you really invest in a house, your heart gets invested in that house. You invest in a car, your heart gets invested there. And when you invest in things of the kingdom, your heart gets in line. And vice versa, as your heart is with something, your finances follow. How many of us love our children and we don't have money for them, but we find the money anyway? You love, your, you love a woman and you find money for her even when you're a poor working guy. Your heart and your money are very well connected. And it's not that God wants our money, but Jesus passionately, jealously wants our heart. He really, really wants your heart. And that's one of the reasons that he continually talks to us about being generous and about being faithful in our finances. And I'm just excited because together we're going to change the world. Amen? We're going to be a part of seeing our life make a difference. And when Kendrick talked about who's going to say thank you to you, 
one of the things you'll find is some people will say thanks that you've never met. You've invested in something, and the result of that was you invested in an ultrasound machine which ends up saving the lives of babies, and someday some kid will walk up to you in heaven and say, thank you. And you'll say, for what? Maybe you'll know everything by then. I don't know. But you'll say, because of you, because of your giving, because of your service, my life was saved. Or I came to know Christ. Or you helped translate that book. That book called the Bible in, in Kamuk language. And I came to know Christ. And so all those things are very real in the ways that we invest make a difference in this world. So praise the Lord. I'm joyful in seeing how God wants to use us to extend his kingdom. If you remember, our theme for 2019 was strategic or is strategic discipleship. Say that with me. Strategic discipleship. What that really means is that we want to find out what it looks like today for you to be a disciple of Christ. Disciple is not a word that you hear normally in the streets, not a word that we hear so much in our society, and yet we want to become disciples or followers of Christ. Strategic simply means we want to find ways to plan our lives strategically, intentionally, purposefully, how we can become disciples. It's not just about attending church. It's not simply about fire insurance, making sure you're going to heaven. We want to make sure that we are followers of Christ. I know that's why you're here. And so what we have to do, we have to take the commands of Christ the truths of the gospel, and find ways to apply them into our lives today. What does that look like for us? And I believe that one of the first places that discipleship takes place is in our homes, right where you live. I would imagine everybody here has a bed somewhere. We'll call that your home, even if it's a temporary place. And God wants to have discipleship flow from that place. Not from the church, but from your home where you live. It's really where the rubber meets the road. It's where the scripture says that faith without action is dead. So we have faith in Christ, but then the question is, how does that become active and action in our lives? What does that look like in your relationships? What does that look like inside your home? And maybe that's why I love our City Hill vision statement. I want to take a little time with that this morning. The City Hill vision statement. Let's read this together. Ready? Everybody ready? To be a church empowered by God's Spirit, where disciples of Jesus are made, where community is lived out each day, and where each member does their part to bring Christ to the world. One more time. To be a church empowered by God's Spirit, where disciples of Jesus are made, where community is lived out each day, where each member does their part to bring Christ to the world. So let's break it down a little bit. To be a church empowered by God's Spirit. You know, God knew that we would need help. The reality is we are weak and fragile and human. The scripture says we are dust. We are dust in this world. That's not a very high um, 
God calls us sheep, calls us dust. I think he realizes just how fragile and how human we are. And if you don't realize that you need the Lord, then you're going to have troubles. If you really think that you can do it on your own, if you really think you're strong enough, wise enough, good enough to make it on your own, the Lord will let you try. But I don't have any question that you will eventually hit a wall. You'll eventually come to a place where you say, man, I am falling short and I am in need of a savior. And here in this church, time of prayer, the Lord spoke really clearly to me and said, this is my church. Kent, this is not your church. This is not the elders' church. This is not the staff's church. This is our church, but more than that, this is God's church. And we have to trust him and look to him and say, God, we need you to provide the funds for impact. We need you to see salvations come in this church. We need you to heal marriages in this church. We need you to provide for the people of this church. We need you. And God is looking for those who trust in him. Not those who are self-made men. Not those who rely on their own strength. But for those who say, Lord, I need you. I love the scripture of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding or your own strength. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. What that's saying is, as we say, God, I need you. God, please help me. Lord, I cannot do it without you. The Lord loves those words. He loves it when we get to a place where we say, all right, my own abilities are falling short. Actually, they always have. But when we realize that and we cry out to him, the Lord is pleased with that. And it says, he will make your path straight. He will open doors for you. And so that first part says, we need the Holy Spirit. And I would just encourage you day by day to say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me anew. Fill me. Give the freshness of your Holy Spirit to my life. Help me. I know that I can't win anybody to the Lord. I can't change anyone's lives. My messages aren't going to make any difference unless the Holy Spirit comes. It's not just a matter of some words being spoken, but the Holy Spirit needs to work in our church, in our lives, in our homes. So we want to be a church empowered, dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And secondly, where disciples of Jesus are made. You know, we can't disciple people beyond what we've been discipled. If you're training someone in baseball, you have to, the best pitcher trainers are those who were good, train, good pitchers. We have to become disciples to disciple others to follow our lead. So Christ wants to work and make us his disciples, but also make us disciple makers. It's not enough just to be somebody who is obeying God in your own life. He wants to flow through you. And that's what God's looking for, is a church of people who will be discipled by him, but who will make disciples in their lives. And you know, that means change. 
I preached a number of weeks ago, change or die. God wants to change us. And I don't know why. Why do we resist his change so much? Why, when he tries to change things, do we just, we, we like to protect ourselves. But Christ loves us too much to leave us just as we are, and he comes to make us his disciples. Thirdly, where community is lived out each day. Community. We reject the Lone Ranger complex. I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody. I heard somebody recently, um, it's in a different state, so you won't know this person, but it was a couple that was considering marriage. And he was just saying, I'm not in a church. I love Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need anyone else. I, I'm, I'm fine, just me and God. And someone asked me, Kent, what do you think of that? I said, red flags. Anybody that thinks they can make it all on their own without anybody else, those are danger signs to me. I believe God has made us to be part of his family, part of his community. And, you know, as we open our lives with each other, we grow. It's also painful. When you open your life with other people, there can be pain, there can be conflict, there can be challenges, but that's the way we grow. And being isolated is a bad, bad deal. Being away from everybody else makes us vulnerable, lonely, independent, and God calls us into community. So community lived out in the church, and each member does their part to bring Christ to the world. Each member. That means church is not about coming here and watching the pastor and listening to the pastor preach. That is not the end all of Christianity. Hallelujah. It is about, we come here, we join together, we love on each other, we hear a word from the Lord, but we are about making a difference in the world. That may be a role here in the church. Right now there's some people teaching our children downstairs. Hallelujah. They're serving the Lord. Each person has a part to play, not simply a show to watch. We are a part of extending God's kingdom. So we reject that spectator Christianity. And we pray things. We say, God, by your spirit, we, we are going to be your ministers. We are going to spread your light in this world. And we accept that call to be your disciples, but to also be those who are making disciples. And really, folks, that's what we're about here at City Hill. And so if somebody asks you, so what are you about there up on the hill, that City Hill place? Well, we've tried to simplify it a little bit. Call it the code. C, community. O, outreach. D, discipleship. And E, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what are you about? We're about community, living together, loving on each other. We're about reaching out to other people. We're about becoming disciples and making disciples. And we know we need the Spirit of God to help us do that. And that's, those are the things that are really important to us up there at City Hill. That makes sense? So we're going to have a little open book test this morning. Mix it up a little bit. Turn to somebody. Find somebody. And here's the question. Hey, so what's City Hill about? What, what, what's, what are you guys about up there? Open book. 
There we go. Open book. So what are you about there at City Hill? Tell somebody. What are we about there? Go ahead. You got one minute. And that's what we're about here at City Hill. That's what this church is about. So if we're called to be disciples, followers of Christ, making other disciples, one of the most important places where disciples of Christ are made is in your home. This is ground zero. This is the life group that never goes home or that always stays home. They never go away, and they, you can't hide from them. And they see you at your best, and they see you at your worst. They know you. Now, if you're without kids in the home, it'd be your spouse. If you're not married, or it may be your roommate, or your closest friends, but it's those who really know you. This is ground zero for us. And the first step in that is prayer. And I want to ask you, is your house a house of prayer? We have Jesus in the temple. This is a little bit different direction than what he was talking about. God, the Father, was said, my house shall be a house of prayer. And I figure if God wanted his house to be a house of prayer, it makes logical sense that he also wants your house to be a house of prayer. And I want to ask you, is your house a house of prayer? You know, prayer is simply talking to God. It's simply bringing him into our situations. And we need to grow as a people that bring Christ into our snow shoveling. Right, Curtis? We're shoveling. We say, thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful snow. Where we bring Christ into our driving down the road. We bring him into our homes, into our personal lives. And all of that really starts with prayer. And may I just say our families need prayer. Our families across America are in crises. They're being shaken at their very foundations. I can't think of a better time than now to pray for our families. Family as a whole has been redefined now. We don't really know what a family looks like anymore. And the results of this have been disastrous to our children, to our marriages, and even to our society because a basic building block in our society is our families. And we need the Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. Because the reality is we're unable to lead, to care for, to provide, to build our families, to grow in relationships without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, you may be listening to me and you say, well, pastor, that's fine for you to say, you know, you're a pastor. Let me just tell you a little bit about my family. I love my family. We've got a great family. 
My kids rock. They're great. But our home was not without conflict. I, you know, we're the missionary family. Neighbors knew us. But I can remember, you may have heard me talk of this before, Nate chasing Josh around the front yard with a machete, screaming, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him. Josh jumping over cars ended up on the roof of the house somehow. Um, yes, that's the missionary family. I remember being called to our kids' school because one of our boys, as the kindergarten teacher had walked by, he had slapped her on the backside as she walked by. My boy. We had to come and try to explain to him that was inappropriate behavior for a five-year-old. Or for any age. So just, go on, just go on record there. Um, we're just... Yeah, he didn't get that from me, folks. Um, the missionary family. I remember Janet just crying, saying, why can't they be friends? Why can't my boys get along with each other? I'm saying, someday, it's like, oh, someday way off there in the horizon. Raising a family is a tough job. Having kids that grow to love and serve the Lord is a great challenge. There's no guarantees, but there are principles that we lay down as parents, as families, that make a difference. And I was acutely aware that God had called me to disciple my family. In no way was that a place of privilege or it was a privilege, but it was more than anything a responsibility. I do believe in the headship of the home being the husband or the man. But I don't believe that headship is defined by privilege. Woman, get me something. That headship to me simply means responsibility. That I was responsible to care for my home. I was responsible to disciple my son. I was responsible to protect my family. And how many times would I go, oh God, I need you. Some of the things were easier than others. But discipling children in the Lord is a lifetime challenge. A lifetime responsibility. And although it was challenging for us, we never gave up. That's one good key rule. Just don't give up. Just keep at, keep at it. Keep on going. There's times where you go, I, I'm done. I have great love and respect for the single parents in our world. Because I know how much it took for Janet and I. Sometimes it was just tag team. She'd say, I'm done. You're it. And she'd go disappear. It's like, all right, I'm on. And we could tag team. Single parents don't get that privilege. They need more than anything. They need our community to stand and help and support them, and to give them breaks. And so along with the disciples, my heart cry as a father, and for each of us, is that we would say, Lord, teach us to pray. In Luke 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place, it says. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So think about that for a minute. Jesus was praying, and I'm sure the disciples were kind of watching him. 
he got down on his knees and probably looking up to heaven, and they're watching him. They didn't quite get this because he seemed to pray different than the other people. And when he finished, somebody would kind of, they'd want to interrupt him talking to the Father, but then they'd say, Lord, teach us. Now, when you think of these disciples, these were Jews, probably some of them, maybe most of them, had grown up being educated in a basic Jewish education. And the Jewish boys memorized the first five books of the Bible, not the titles of the books. They memorized the entire Pentateuch, which is the first five books, by the time they were 12. Anybody here got those down? I mean, my gosh. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had it down by 12. That's good for the Bible quiz team, huh? Let's memorize those five books. And one of the prayers that every Jewish man would know is called the Shema. And I want to read that for you. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful commandment. Of, let's just encircle our lives with the commandments of God, with the truths of God. We would find different ways of writing it. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Put it on your screensaver, on your phone, or on your laptop. Wrap your life in the commandments of God. And they would pray this prayer daily. Every Jew would know it. But Jesus prayed differently. His prayers were not rote prayers. His prayers were not memorized prayers. He prayed as if someone was actually listening. He prayed with passion from the depths of his heart. Later on, you you hear that he prayed with such agony that he sweat drops of blood. He was crying out to his father, and he spoke and prayed to God. And his disciples looked at that and said, well, that is different. Lord, teach us to pray. And your take home today is I would, I'm asking the Lord that he put in each one of our hearts this prayer or this declaration, better said, that my house will be a house of prayer. Say that with me. My house will be a house of prayer. One more time. My house will be a house of prayer. May your house be a house of prayer. And I say, well, what's that mean? I'm going to give you a couple ways. Over the years that I've learned just different things that have helped our house be a house of prayer. One is a prayer list. It's good to have a piece of paper, a notebook, a journal, somewhere in your Bible where you have a prayer list, where you say, oh, I know about that situation. I'm going to add that to my prayer list. And in times of praying for other people, you pray through that list. You know, Grandma or Mom Barefoot, Janet's mother, Helen Barefoot, she's a prayer warrior. And I will maybe go into the bathroom, heading out to the bathroom at 2 o'clock in the morning or something, and I'll hear her in the back room. First time it happened, it freaked me out. You know, I, I'm, I'm 
in the dark, heading to the bathroom, and you hear, Jesus, Jesus. I'm thinking, oh, is she dying? What's good, Janet? You know, and, but she is interceding. She's crying out to the Lord, and she's got, and you can, so sometimes you kind of stop and you kind of listen in, and you'll hear her name, the people she loves who are not following Jesus. You say, oh God, I pray for, and she fills in the blanket. Jesus, may they come to know you. May their hearts be softened. Oh Lord, and she's crying out for these family members who have walked away from the Lord. I've told my boys, listen, just, just follow Jesus. Or grandma's going to put you on her list. And, you, you, you know, and then you're going, it, you're going to come back. You just, just make it easier and just follow God. Okay, Dad, I will. I don't want to be on grandma's list. There is power in the prayers of grandmas and grandpas who lift up their family members before the Lord. Never underestimate the power of the prayer of a parent or a grandparent. Having a prayer list is a really good thing to help you pray for the many different needs that surround you. Family devotions. You know, there are resources today for family devotions that never existed years ago. One of the best resources we have right now is Right Now Media. In your bulletins, there's a, it tells you information of how to sign up for it. It is free to you. The church pays a membership um, every year, and then all the members, all of you, get it free. That's just one of the services we have, and so all you got to do is you send an email to the office, and it all gets taken care of. But I was looking through Right Now Media. There are five-minute devotionals, cartoons, animated. There's beautiful stuff out there for children. You can say, let's have devotions, and you just turn on a Right Now Media, and you watch that, and you close in prayer, simple as can be. If you're a little bit older, there are some beautiful things being um, produced today called the Bible Project. It's in Right Now Media. It's also on YouTube. Devotions can be simple. Nobody can say, well, I don't know how. Watch a little video and close in prayer. It can be very, very simple. So well, when do you do this? Well, I know in Janet's family, they had devotions right after dinner. They'd have dinner, and at the end of it, people didn't leave, and they'd close in Maybe a scripture and a prayer. In my home, our devotions was simply a dad would read a chapter and then we'd sing a little chorus and we'd pray. About 10 minutes. And I would recommend them not being much longer than 10 minutes. If you start having, I mean, if you want to make them longer, God bless you. But I think if I try to keep a kid and do it every day and make it go for an hour, um, you're going to lose interest pretty fast. But just gathering together as a family that prays, you know, we, we do that. And sometimes you'd finish in 10 minutes, but then people would stay. And conversations would ensue. And time together would happen. Family time. It's a lost art. But if your house is to be a house of prayer, pray together as a family. Family devotions. Your meals perfect time. Don't ever be embarrassed about praying over your meal, even in a restaurant. Now, you don't have to make it legalistic. Well, we have to pray or it's sin. I don't believe that. But I believe that you have a great opportunity to give thanks to the Lord for the food. Now, I've heard people pray around meals where they go on and on. At the end, you want to pass the offering plate, right? I mean, 
Food's getting cold. But Jesus gave thanks to the Father for the food before they ate. And I think that's a good enough example for us. It's good to stop and pray and give thanks and recognize the Lord together as a family. How about when people are about to leave your home? Somebody comes over, somebody's visiting. One of the things that we've done is just say, hey, before you leave, can we pray? Take some hands and pray for the people. Pray for safety for their trip. Pray for their family. It's another opportunity to pray in your household. And I would also recommend that you pray through your houses. Wherever you live, go pray. Dedicate your, the rooms of your house to the Lord. In a house that I lived in, a community house, years ago in California, we brought a big rock out of the backyard. We found some rock while you're we digging something, and we came with this rock, and we set it there on the mantle of the fireplace, kind of a big old, it seemed really out of place. And then we, as seven guys, we dedicated that house and our time and our conversations to the Lord. And we, as an altar, we said, this rock is a witness. And it, it's a, you might call that silly, but they did in the Old Testament. They had altars that were a witness of the covenant that they had made at that time. And so we dedicated our home to the Lord, each and every room. We'd walk to the kitchen and say, Lord... May this food nourish our bodies. May there be health in this home. May there be great conversations and laughter here in this kitchen. We go through different rooms of the house and dedicate our homes to the Lord. And sometimes we need to do warfare. Sometimes there are battles in our homes that we need to attack on a spiritual level. Um, do we have that clip? There's a clip from the war room. I think you've seen this once before, but it's just so good. The basic story is a lady's family is in real tremendous crisis in her marriage. And then she goes to battle. In, a, in the spiritual sense, she goes to battle to fight for her family. Why don't you go ahead and roll that? I don't know where you are, devil. But I know you can hear me. You have played with my mind and had your way long enough. No more. You are done. Jesus is the Lord of this house. And that means there's no place for you here anymore. So take your lies, your schemes, and your accusations and get out in Jesus' name. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my daughter. And you sure can't have my man. This house is under new management. And that means you are out. And another thing. I am so sick of you stealing my joy. But that's changing too. 
My joy doesn't come from my friends. It doesn't come from my job. It doesn't even come from my husband. My joy is found in Jesus. And just in case you forgot, he has already defeated you. So go back to hell where you belong and leave my family alone. Amen. There are times where we have to uh, go to war. There are times we have to say enough is enough. I remember a, uh, a time in my home, and honestly, I don't fully remember all the details. I just remember things weren't great. It was a challenge around my boys, and I remember my boys were asleep, and I just went into a room, and I went, you know, I don't know where this came from, but just in that passion of my heart, and in a battle somewhat like that clip, I said, Lord, I said, well, it's actually speaking to the enemy here. And I said, I am the head of this home. And if you want to get to my boys, you got to go through me. I'm taking my place is that spiritual umbrella. And if you want to go to my boys, you're going through me. And then quite quickly, I added and I place myself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to get to me, you got to go through him. And good luck with that. I deeply wanted to see my boys discipled for Christ. And like I say, there are not guarantees in this life. People make choices. But my prayer is that your home will be a house of prayer. And that you'll fill it with prayer. And the last aspect of prayer this morning that I just challenge you in your homes is a prayer of blessing. And we have the power, each one of us, every single one of us have the power to bless. It's one of the creative powers that God has given us, created in his image. My favorite blessing to pray over my children is Numbers 6.23. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, you shall bless the people of Israel and say to them, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I prayed that over my sons probably thousands of times. Sometimes I tried to mix it up. There are other blessings, and I brought something out of Second Timothy. Like, no, let's go back to the other one, Dad. There was something of that in our home where that prayer had power. Not magical, not a chant. Not, it just was Dad blessing his boys. And I believe that beyond the comfort it may have brought them, there's power in our ability to bless. And I close by saying, Luke 19.46, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. Say that with me. My house shall be a house of prayer. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would teach us to pray. 
And that, God, we would not simply hear your word even this morning, but, God, that each and every one of us would increase the prayer cover, the prayer presence in our homes. Father, may our house, this house, this church, but much more may the homes that we live in, whether alone or with a bunch of kids, God, may our homes May our houses be houses of prayer. May we spend time with you. May you speak to us. Thank you for the authority we have to drive out the evil that tries to find its way into our homes. Jesus, if we are to be your disciples, then our homes must be houses of prayer. Make it so. We need you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be together this morning. If you're a guest here this morning, I'd love to greet you out at the Welcome Center on the left heading out.